We want to lay before you any burdens that we are carrying today. We thank you that we don't have to leave them behind when we come to you. We bring them to you. And so, Lord, come. Holy Spirit, fill us and fill this time. Fill my words and fill your scriptures. Fill our hearts and our minds that we might be led to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We are continuing today in our Advent preaching series called The Songs of Advent. And we're spending these four weeks uh, heading toward Christmas as we prepare by looking at the songs associated with the birth and coming of Jesus, the coming of Messiah. Now, when you look at the Christmas story, and I don't mean the movie, The Christmas Story, I mean the Bible's account of the birth of Jesus the Son of God, the Savior of the world, you see several themes running all through those first two chapters of Luke's Gospel. You see the movement, the activity, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. You see humble people, faithful people, worshiping people, absolutely overwhelmed by God's sovereign grace in their lives. And you also see joy, erupting all over the place. They're overwhelmed. And in the midst of this spirit-filled joy, the production of joyful, worshipful songs about the Messiah, about Jesus. When God breaks into history, it's not songs like Jingle Bells or Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer or I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. As fun as those might be, those aren't the kind of songs that erupt out of the hearts of these worshiping people. The songs of Advent, these, these Christmas songs, that's really what they are. These Advent songs express this long-awaited hope that the Messiah is coming, that God is making things right and new through His Son. And I think this year, of course, as we're winding down, it's probably good for my heart and perhaps for yours also to have some reminders of this long-awaited hope, some Well, some reassurance that God is still making things right and new. This is the God we worship. So we'll focus on Mary's song today, Luke chapter 1. It's called the Magnificat, which in Latin means magnify, and it's derived from the first line of the song. Verse 46, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now think for a minute about what a magnifying glass does. Right? A magnifying glass brings things into focus. It highlights, it makes something that might be hard to see clear and present and bold and large. Mary's song declares the magnificence of the Lord God Almighty and the Messiah. And it's this marvelous song of adoration. It's a song of worship that has been sung by Christians all over the world for the last 2,000 years. When Catherine and I went to Israel in 2019, we went to the Church of the Visitation in Ein Karim, which is about five miles from Jerusalem. Um, It's believed to be built, the church built on the site of the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And it's this really wonderful place. The church is okay. Like, I mean, it's lovely. But what overwhelmed me is when you first walk on the property and go through the gates, there right in front of you is this beautiful 
uh, metal statue of two women meeting, Elizabeth and Mary, but as they're meeting, it's their stomachs that are meeting, which is, which is a really beautiful picture, right, of John declaring as he leaps in his mother's womb the presence of the Messiah. Now, just beyond the statues is this long wall, this high wall on the side of one of the buildings, and there are 42 ceramic plaques in 42 different languages of the world. And what's so cool is that as each group comes into the courtyard, they go and immediately find their plaque, their language, and they begin to say or chant or sing the Magnificat. And so the whole time you're there, you're hearing the languages of the world declaring a song of adoration and praise in the very place where Mary first declared it. It's a beautiful thing. It, it was really stunning and overwhelming. As, as we worship today, we join in with the throng of heaven who is worshiping throughout all of eternity. Worship is so powerful because it transcends our immediate. Yes, it's good here and now where we are. But we join in with what people are doing all over the world today, all over creation today, and even into heaven itself. Well, this place is lovely and a marvelous reminder of the power of worship. When you look at Mary's Magnificat, it can be neatly divided if you were to parse it out into two stanzas. There's two movements, there's two focuses, there's two themes, if you will, that are being magnified, lifted up, brought into the light for us to see. The first stanza, which is 46 through 50, it's Mary's part. She's reflecting on what it means to be chosen by God to bear the Messiah. It's very personal. It's very internal. And the second part, in that second stanza, Mary starts to fade away. She's praising God for the effects that the coming of Christ will have on the world. It's very external. It's very global. It's very down through the ages in its effect. And both stanzas are just full, full of the gospel of God's sovereign grace in the lives of people. Listen to Mary's words again. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices In God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. First, Mary is this grateful receiver of God's saving work. Right? She's a recipient of God's salvation. She isn't a, a one who's generating salvation. She's receiving salvation. And she's overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed because God has chosen her. She's a young girl of no social standing. She has no societal influence, no educational bearing, no worldly importance whatsoever from a hated people group in a backwater town. And she's been chosen to bear the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who will save the world. God is working out his plan of salvation, and she gets to be a part of it. And she's completely stunned by it. You can hear it in her words in verse 48 For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
Now think about that. She's reflecting on the fact that the God of the universe, the God who is all glorious, all holy, all majestic, astounding in wonder and power, the one that angels hide their eyes from, she's marveling at the fact that God sees her and God has chosen her. It's like she's saying, there's no reason for you to choose me, and yet you have, and it's, it's wrecking her. She's godly, for sure. She's faithful. She's humble. She is absolutely to be emulated. She's probably the disciple par excellence of all of the bunch in the book. She clearly knows her Bible. She knows the Old Testament because her song is filled with lines that you can find in the Psalms and you can find in the Old Testament prophets. And yes, she fears the Lord. That is the heart of a worshiper. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, declares the book of Proverbs, right? Which is not just cowering. It's an awestruck wonder that God is and God comes near But apart from God's mercy, she knows she's no one. And it stuns her. And that's what grace does. His sovereign grace poured out on the undeserving. Now think about what it means that God chose this poor girl to be the Messiah's mother, a poor peasant girl. She's got the greatest privilege of any woman, in fact, of any person who has ever lived, unique in the way God has used her. But the sheer fact that she's this stunning peasant girl is designed to give us a picture of what grace is really like. That God would choose her, not kings, her, not movie stars, Her, not rock stars, the people that we emulate and that we raise up. God chooses this poor peasant girl to be the vessel of his grace. It's earned. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's just given. The world would totally overlook Mary. And yet God has seen her and God has chosen her. And so she praises him. Now here's what I want to say and what I want to remind you of this morning on this second Sunday of Advent, this day of peace, is that God has chosen you too. God's sovereign grace chooses you too. Not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, but God chooses and God puts his hand upon us and God says, you are the one I must have. And I hope that stuns you. Now, you can know that you are chosen of the Lord if you believe. You see, your belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that is the work of God. What is the work of God? To believe in God's one and only Son. So if your heart believes, you know that His grace has preceded it. You cannot believe apart from grace. Grace always comes first. Grace always draws So that as we have faith, it's a response to His grace. Faith is required. But it's not a work you've done, lest any should boast. It's a response to His first action of drawing, winning, wooing, desiring, calling, cleansing, 
healing, forgiving. I'm still stunned, y'all. 32 years I've known His grace. And it still wrecks me regularly when I allow myself to sit with the words of Scripture, when I allow my heart to come present to the One who is all-glorious. I have nothing to bring Him except my shame and my brokenness, my fear, my anger, my sin. There's some good things He's given me, to be sure, but even those are gifts. I think about the fact sometimes that 32 years ago, God called me out of a Grateful Dead concert. I was on the 35-yard line of RFK Stadium, and the Grateful Dead was playing a song called Hell in a Bucket. I may be going to hell in a bucket, but at least I'm enjoying the ride. I don't know why he called me, but he called me right then. Grace revealed the desperate condition of my heart. And it wrecked me. And I walked out and I got on my knees, because I didn't have the keys to the car, right there in the dirt. And I responded in faith to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. I don't know why he called me. 50,000 people. All I had was shame and ugliness. I had hurt people. I had hurt the people who loved me the most. And yet his sovereign grace calls. And when you hear it, it stuns. Whether you have a story like that or you've known him since you were a little girl or a young boy, his grace is the same. Our need is the same. There's no levels of our depravity. We're all broken and lost apart from the grace of God. And yet his grace calls. And his grace cleans up. And His grace makes new. I hope you're stunned by it. The God of the universe has chosen you. And you are His beloved. And you are His delight. And you are the one over whom He sings because He's given you the grace of Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 50 says, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. And I believe that's many of us in this room today. Well, that brings us to the second stanza of Mary's song. Focus shifts away from her to her son and the great reversal of things that's about to happen. Change is coming. That's what you might call that second stanza. Listen to these words. They are revolutionary words. In fact, uh, one of the archbishops of Canterbury many years ago would not allow his priests to read these words out in the streets of India for fear of riots if the people heard these words. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary's singing about this child that she's going to bear. She's, she's bearing him, this child who will come and what he will do. And, and what stands out, if you kind of parse down and get real kind of word geeky with it, is the verb tenses. It's what theologians call the prophetic aorist, which is a Greek word, but it, the prophetic past. 
often when you're reading the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, you'll see the verb tenses switch so that they're speaking about a future event as though it has already happened. They're so certain that what God has said will occur that they speak about it as though it's already happened. And that's really what Mary is doing here. She's singing about this son, this this Messiah who's coming. Listen to what Ray Pritchard writes. He says, Mary is so utterly convinced about what her son, the Lord Jesus, will do when he comes that that she speaks of it as if it had already happened. In time, for her, it is yet future. In Mary's mind, it is an accomplished fact because God has willed it to happen. God has willed it to happen. And what is it that he's willed to happen? What is she so sure of that God will do, that her son, the Messiah, will accomplish? He'll bring about change through a great reversal. The text says he scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty. He exalts the humble. He fills the hungry and he sends away the rich. That's upside down from the way the world does it but not God. He is the God of the great upside down. Reminds me of the movie, The Poseidon Adventure. It's a movie about this luxury ocean liner that goes out to sea and there's this disaster that causes the ship to turn upside down so that now the hull is up at the top and everything that was above you is now below you and everything that was below you is now above you. The only hope for the passengers is to go against their natural instinct to climb up to the hull. And those who insist, no, we must climb to the decks, end up lost. It's a great reversal. Messiah brings change. The upside down is coming. This is terrible news for the mighty. This is terrible news for the proud. This is terrible news for the haughty and the self-content and the rich and the self-righteous. If that's you today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict your heart of pride. That the Spirit of God would give you the grace to see your condition and repent and to turn. See, grace will proceed any turning you do. Grace will help you to see the true condition of the nature of your heart before God in and of yourself apart from Him. You can look at your life to see evidence of it, by the way. But I ask the Spirit of God to reveal that we might turn. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Respond to the mercy of our God, which is for generation to generation for those who fear Him. Bad news for the proud. But it is amazing and deliriously good news for the lost and the broken and the beat up and the burned out, for the empty and the poor, for the homeless and the hurting and the hungry and the depressed and the lonely and the isolated. There's a lot of isolated people this year. He has not left you. Messiah is on your side. The God of the universe sees you and chooses you. He is with you. The good news is Messiah doesn't just enter the world. Messiah enters the world and lives the life and dies a death and is raised again and now is at the right hand of the throne of God. 
And we will one day stand before him. And if he is in you, then his grace covers you. There is no fear of judgment that has to erupt in your heart. You can banish it. He's for you and not against you. Can you rejoice in that today? Can you draw strength from that today? Can you find peace in that today? Can you be stunned by that today? Yes. Because when you're not feeling good, happy, blessed, that's Southern, right? The way to preach the gospel to your heart is to come back to who you are and what God says about you and to stay right there in His grace. He's crazy about you. Stay right there in His grace. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank You that You watch out for us and You watch out over us. You are not surprised by anything going on. Would you allow our hearts to be stunned like Mary's heart, that your sovereign grace is for us, that we're the object of your heart's delight, that you have saved us through and through because of your son Jesus. And Lord, would you tear down the things within us that become proud or uh, deceitful, angry or bitter? not to destroy us, but to save us through and through. That in the place of those things, you might bring humility and joy and peace. And that through those broken and cracked places, renewed by your grace, the world might see Jesus. We pray that you would be glorified, Lord, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.